Welcome back from the break, my friend. Welcome back to our overview, this time that you and I get a chance to get to know each other. We started with this chapter on kindred spirits, on taking a look at some of those experiences that I've had since I started training, since I even realized that I wanted to be an actor. The moments I've had with teachers, in school, in the profession, in struggling to get work, in finding that work was coming to me because people wanted to work with me. What were the reasons behind all of that? Looking into the experiences that have shaped my purpose and my passion helps set a tone for whether or not you and I have this similar spark of excitement about what could happen when we train in this profession. Acting can always be about playing pretend. But we're reaching for something more. And I'm a passionate guy who's going to want to inspire you to roar in those directions. So taking that time in that first chapter of Kindred Spirits to lay out the whys, the hows, how did I get to this position where I care so darn much about these specific things? In our second chapter, we ask the question of what is good acting? Making a decision before jumping into all of the tools, the muscle builders, and the exercises, before we start talking about things like learning lines and transforming our relationships and building vocal practices, to take a moment and ask, what are we really after? What is the finish line? If we do all of the work that's ahead of us, what will we be left with? And the finish line here at the Elysium Aesthetic is everything. And that sounds so darn idealistic. It sounds overly ambitious for sure. Everything? Everything to us is freedom within form. Freedom within form. Freedom is your truth, that part of you that is, ah, why we're counting on you in the first place, that unique artistry, that poetic lens in which you see the world. We want that freedom of your truth to be infused into any single piece of form that the world is asking from you. Yeah, form comes in many different shapes and sizes, right? It's the directions that we get, it's the script in front of us, the actors we're working with, the time of day, the set that we're on, where the camera's pointing, the costume that we have. Every single part of those have-tos, of those responsibilities, that's the form. We want something that takes ownership of that, infuses our freedom within it, and by the time that we're done with our work, you can't tell the difference between what's freedom and what's form. There's a harmony there working at its highest level. We have three directions that we work in, our artistry, our instrument, and our craft. And we don't want to settle with just being good. We don't want to settle with just giving the things that other people expect. We want to be artists, creators, people who redefine, people who add panels to this human story, who expand human empathy. It's a magical thing what you get to do as an actor. And so we want to build the muscles that take advantage of this special part of the profession, the most fun part of the profession, really getting to live as the character in any world that's ever thrown your way. Artistry, instrument, craft. Living truthfully through imaginary circumstances with personal professional pride. Living truthfully, we talked about the fact that we couldn't take that for granted. In that second chapter, we said there's a struggle going on between the daily bodyguards and filters who are trying to protect against certain experiences that we just don't want or don't want in an unprotected way. The intellect is always trying to help us get to those expected results, and it pulls and sources from what all the things it already knows that would probably work for that. Those two teammates, the daily bodyguards and filters and the intellect, are pulling strongly in a direction that is akin to life, that is pretty ordinary in our ability to live truthfully as a human being. 
We need something that pulls us towards possibility, that breaks us from those rules of the daily body and infuses potential into our art, possibility in where we can go. That's our acting instrument. That's a reason why we train, to be able to build an acting instrument to take on the daily bodyguards and filters and the intellect in the moment. So we get to live, we get to be. The art of acting is the art of transformation, and acting gives us something that life does not, the ability to know the future, to have a script, to be able to rehearse. Rehearsal timing comes in many different shapes and sizes, always. It's almost never the same. There's always going to be even fractionally different amounts of time that you're going to have for each role, each audition, each rehearsal. Your time to get ready, to do things that set you up for success, it's always going to be different. So we want to get really, really good at mastering the art of rehearsal, mastering the art of the time that we have to do things to set ourselves up for success. Those things that we want to do, they want to focus on transforming the truth of ourselves into the truth of the character. We want a transformation toolbox, tools that take us into the nature, into the nurture, into all the aspects of humanity that exist for the character. And those tools have got to be organized. They've got to be adaptable to any situation. They've got to take the requests of others and make them as truthful as those that were inspired inside of us. A toolbox that is organized, adaptable, and oh-so-personal. It always takes you forward. We're devoting ourselves to an actor's barometer, to something that shapes guidance for you, that lets you taste whether you're moving in the right direction. A teammate there, as you're moving forward, within that amount of time you have to get ready, mastering your art of rehearsal. So yes, as we look closer at what does it mean to be the best of ourselves, what are we after in this finish line of the Elysium aesthetic? What we see is we need an acting instrument. What we see is that we need to put some focus and training on the art of rehearsal. But to take ourselves to that highest level of excellence, of going forward, forward until there's no more forward left to go for you, we want to put our efforts on discovering what is this ideal? What is this person you want to be when you grow up? We want to have a clear idea and we want to turn life into our artistic gym, into the sort of gym that builds the muscles that make everything easier. And we've got to be real careful about this because before we know it, we can want to do so many things we just don't have time for it. If this technique is going to work for you, it's got to work for the amount of time that you have in your life. And that's why we train to be able to find that direction, to be able to turn life into that sort of artistic gym. There are always two paths that we could take as artists in this work. There's a fork in the road, and on the one side, it's an easy escape where we get to play pretend. We don't have to do all of the work. We don't have to really, really work into the nooks and crannies. We get to just play pretend, and there's nothing wrong with that. But... If you want to live as the character, if you want to be the most of yourself in this profession, there is another direction, and that's the direction towards our finish line, towards always being at the highest level of yourself, no matter what the world is asking of you. That's the finish line of Elysium, and that is a pathway of earned excellence, a pathway that's asking something of you, and what it's asking is for your Olympic spirit to roar. That Olympic spirit that wants to do the work, that wants to do the work for every single muscle until it's instinct all to unleash your potential, that part of you that no one could compete with. Easy escape, playing pretend, versus roaring down this pathway of earned excellence with your Olympic spirit. 
That's something that we talked about in that second chapter. That's something that we want to care about as we build muscles and move forward to our best self. We talked about the uniqueness of talent, those knowings inside of you, the shades and the spices, your empathy, how it sparks with your actor's faith, your ability to believe in what's imaginary as if it was real. Those are aspects of your humanity that we want to nurture as well. And so, last class, we took a look at the specifics of those specific muscles, those specific doings that lie in those three specific areas of our craft. When we took a closer look in the instrument area, we discovered that there are five areas that we want to focus on in our acting instrument so we can fight off those rules of the daily body, those pulls of the intellect. Those five areas of our acting instrument are five areas of our humanity, our physical instrument, our vocal, our psychological, our emotional, our imaginative spiritual. In each of those areas, we want to develop practices. And we love practice because practice, we can work out all of the kinks. We can struggle. We can discover. We can do everything we need to to turn the good stuff into instinct during practice. And that's going to be our focus, creating those personal practices that turn the good stuff into instinct, concentrating it, making it so simple and obvious that we then adapt those practices into personal warm-ups that you'll use whenever you need it, for whatever the world is asking of you. If you're coming from a tough day, a wonderful day, you just had a celebration, you just had a breakup, whatever is going on inside of you, you want to have done the work in your personal practices so that you can just like flicking on a light switch, do simple, concentrated things that take your vocal instrument, your psychological instrument, from the rules of the daily body into the possibilities of your acting instrument. When we looked closer last class at this art of rehearsal, we broke it down into three complementing areas. They all hand the baton off to each other, these things that we do in the time that we have to transform, to become the character. It starts with preparation, that toolbox of stuff that we get to do to transform our nature, our nurture, our humanity, the stuff that other people ask from us, the stuff that we want and are inspired for ourselves— The way that we prepare are things that make up our art of rehearsal. And then it hands the baton off to transformation. That ability to go from our daily life, no matter what that daily life is, into an acting instrument and then have the ability to go right into character. Daily life, acting instrument, launched into character. That art, that ability to be able to do that on any single day in any single environment... That's something that comprises mastering the art of rehearsal. And then it hands the baton off to growth. Growth is having your own back. Growth is, of course, being a great teammate for all the wonderful notes, all the suggestions that are going to come your way from directors, from writers, from anywhere. Those are great teammates, those notes that find us. But nothing matters more than you knowing for yourself after you've had a chance to live as the character the things that you can do to move forward, forward, forward for the next opportunity that you get. In fact, we want to be so good at growth that you want to be able to create a time-tailored menu based off of the life that you live of the things that you need to do in order to set yourself up for even deeper success. Tasting back to what just happened and knowing how to take care of yourself moving forward. That ability to manage yourself, to move yourself forward, really speaks to this mastering the art of rehearsal. Preparation, transformation, growth. 
We then moved forward into our artistry section and asked that same question. What are the specific and unique muscles? What are these doings that we're talking about that are going to culminate in personal excellence and working always with personal professional pride? And we realized that we all want to be the best of ourselves. We all want to grow up to be our full potential. But what direction is that? What does that mean for you? How's that different for me? That's work. That's something that we want to focus our efforts on, discovering exactly who your Elysium artist is. Who is this person that has it all figured out, that did the work for every single muscle and earned excellence, unleashed your potential always? We want to find a way to grab all the puzzle pieces and fragments of what we know about that and assemble it in such a way where it is a clear direction that leads us forward through life. We also wanted our daily Elysium Artist Report to be the sort of teammate that turns life into our artistic gym. It's easy to say, I want to grow, I want to do, I want to be the best of myself, I want to get to my Elysium Artist. But how does anyone have the time to do that? How can I ensure that I do that when life is so unpredictable, whether it's through family or health, other commitments that I have, how can I have the time to become the best of myself? And so we said the Daily Elysium Artist Report is going to turn the life you live into the gym you need to get to your Elysium Artist. That's the focus we've placed, me and you, on our first three chapters, Kindred Spirits, What is Good Acting?, Growing excellence. So we have a clear sense of our finish line. We have a clear sense of those things that we're going to do, those specific and unique doings in each of those three directions of our artistry, instrument, and craft that are going to get us towards that finish line. Here in our final chapter, let's talk about how. Let's talk about how we do the things that we do and the specific way that the Elysium aesthetic looks at those muscles that are going to make success inevitable. When I think of preparation, as I've been doing getting ready for today's chapter, my thoughts have been drifting back to my first semester in grad school. Harvard's grad program gets to team up with the Moscow Art Theater School in Russia, and they send one of their teachers to work with us in the first summer. Before we meet all of the faculty in the fall and start that larger grad school experience, we come down, us first years come down in the summer to Cambridge, and we get forged into an ensemble by Roman Kozak. Roman Kozak was the teacher coming from the Moscow Art Theater, and he was a legend in Russia. When we ended up going to study in Russia, we would see his pictures on billboards. We found out that he was like the Tom Hanks of Russia if Tom Hanks was a bad guy. I mean, he was just such a sweet soul, but almost larger than life. He only spoke Russian. We had a translator there the whole summer. And because of that, there was a whole other level of mystery to the words that he would say. One of those words, one of those phrases is what I want to focus on right now. We all used to play during the breaks soccer, football, on the front lawn. Roman had brought his young son with him from Moscow, and we would get sweaty, running around, having a great time on those breaks. And then the break would be over, and Roman would expect us all to go back into the room and be ready to work. When he would walk in, we would be in a standing circle, ready for Roman. What did that mean? Roman would come around the circle... And with a finger out, 
he would give little nudges, sometimes from behind us, sometimes in front of us, sometimes the nudge is on a shoulder, it's on right between your eyes. He would give a little nudge, and inevitably, some part of our body would tense up. In order to, what, not fall backwards? I mean, if somebody gave you a little push between your eyes and you did nothing, you just, what, fall back onto the concrete floor? Of course, there would be some sort of automatic resistance, pushback, hold to keep us fighting where that momentum, where that finger wanted to take us. And Roman would always smile, like a twinkle in his eyes, a knowing twinkle. All he would say is Prigatov. Prigatov which meant a state of readiness. That's what he kept asking of us, inspiring us to, when he would come and give us a little nudge and we would resist. Prigatov, he would say, a state of readiness. You see, to Roman, readiness was when you were so ready that you were free to go wherever the world took you. Your body was so free. Your spirit was so free. Your psychology, your emotion, your humanity was so present and yet so free that it was available to be played, to be an instrument, to be taken by the breezes, the subtle breezes of the world around us. To Roman, a state of readiness was a state of freedom. There's an answer there for us in what we all yearn for when we show up for game time, when we show up to our audition. We don't just want to know what to do. We want to be free to live it. Prigatov, that state of readiness. What are those muscles? Why is that hard? Why is there a challenge to leave the rules of the daily body, to leave the rhythms of life, and to be able to get into that possibility where we can go anywhere, where we are free to live, to be the character in the moment? Another person who has preparation, readiness all figured out is our friend Michael Jordan. I think about Michael Jordan rising up for those shots, and it feels like excellence is earned when he hits those shots, when that ball goes through the net. And yet, excellence isn't earned when he hits that shot. For Michael Jordan, excellence is earned in everything he does to prepare for that shot. In preparation for game time, There's really two things that Michael Jordan has to focus on, any athlete has to focus on. There are going to be those plays, those things that are drawn up, those expectations, where your teammates are going to be, where you're supposed to be, those things that we anticipate, that we practice doing so that we can succeed in the moment. We actors know from that. We have, we may not have a coach, but we have directors. We may not have plays that are drawn up, but we have blocking. We have marks that we're supposed to hit. We have things that are expected of us that are supposed to land in the moment, and we do things in our practice in our rehearsal to get ourselves ready to have that show up instinctually. But none of us know what's going to actually happen in the moment. When Michael Jordan is doing his preparation, when Michael Jordan is striving for his sense of Prigatov, of course he's practicing with his teammates. Of course he's doing all the things that are set up for those expectations. But the other side of Michael Jordan's rehearsal, practice, getting ready for game time is in maximizing his abilities so that whatever shows up in the moment, he's ready to react to it at his best. He's ready to deal with it with excellence. Michael Jordan invests in his golden potential. And that's the focus that I want to draw from when we look at our own preparation. What are those muscles that maximize you? What are the things that an actor has to focus on in order to have the muscles that are ready for anything. 
A basketball player, that's one particular type of craft with one particular series of emotional needs, psychological needs, physical needs. All of those things are very specific to the craft of basketball. What I've been interested in, what the Elysium Aesthetic has set out to discover and unlock are what are the human muscles for all of us that have to do with our craft, this craft of creativity. What are the muscles there? Someone must have pulled Michael Jordan over to the side early on and said, these are the muscles that you need to focus on. These are the things that are going to help separate you aside from all of the plays that you're going to learn, aside from all of the team exercises that they're going to ask you to do. This is what it takes, these things, to be the best of yourself as a basketball player. As a creator, that's our craft. What are the things that we're going to be counting on? What are the muscles that make creativity easier? What are the things that are happening automatically that are making things more challenging for me, for you, for all of us? We are creators. That's our craft, creativity. We take ink on a page and we get to breathe in fully textured, complicated, nuanced life. We create Our work is to grow. Our work is to always be moving forward, to grow with the notes that we have, to grow and learn those characters, to consistently be better with the time that we have to master that art of rehearsal, to always be growing. But we are creatively growing. So when I look at this idea of our personal crafting work, what we are dealing with as actors is this idea of personal creative growth. And that's what we want to shine a light on, our personal creative growth as artists, as human beings, the things that happen automatically that are going on behind the scenes, the things that we can do something about. What are those special specific muscles that power personal creative growth? I mean, we know that growing, that learning, is common for all human beings, happens in those four stages. Unconscious incompetence leads to conscious incompetence, leads to conscious competence, and finally, unconscious competence. I've learned it, it's habitual, it's automatic, it's mine. Those are the four stages of human learning. There will be challenges unique to each person in those four stages, strengths that are unique to each person in those four stages, but we all know how it works. How does creativity work? Creativity also is one of those things where people psych themselves out or have other people place judgments on them that they're not creative enough. Creativity, like learning, happens the same for all of us in four stages. It's good to know that. It's good to be able to look at how we work so that we can dig in deeper at the specific things that cause that work to be done with a flow, with ease, with joy, with something so automatic that we don't earn our excellence when we're shooting our shot, when we're in our audition room. We've earned excellence because we're built to succeed in our personal crafting work. So let's take a look at creativity. Creativity happens in four stages. It begins with observation. Something lands on the radar screen. That observation leads us to inspiration, a sense of clarity, a direction, something that moves us towards a particular aim, a particular goal, a particular knowing. Inspiration then leads us to preparation. And if we do our work of preparation, we're left with the fourth stage of creativity, improvisation, living it, freely living it. Observation, inspiration, preparation, improvisation. And when we look at the creative growth 
flow, how learning and creativity complement each other, it all starts with unconscious incompetence. Ignorance is bliss. It's so wonderful. It's so easy. What an easy stage for all of us. And then observation. Then something lands on our radar screen and we taste it and we know that we don't know. Observation, the taste of what we don't know, is what takes us into conscious incompetence. And when we're in a state of conscious incompetence, clear on what we don't know, boom, that's when the bolt of inspiration strikes, that's when the direction shows up, that's when some sense of clarity ensues that moves us towards conscious competence. In this state of being consciously competent, having the direction but not having it habitual or having learned it fully yet, we get to work. Conscious competence inspires preparation, and if we do the work of preparation, we do the work of learning it, of owning it, of being unconsciously competent with it. And unconscious competence in the world of art, in the world of acting for us, inspires improvisation, improvisational life, living truthfully, living freely as the character. Unconscious incompetence, observation, conscious incompetence, inspiration, conscious competence, preparation, unconscious competence, improvisational life. That's the creative flow. That's the creative flow. And there are battles going on for all of us behind the scenes. Automatically, they've always been going on, we just haven't known to deal with it yet. We want to use today's chapter to bring to the forefront those battles, those tugs of war in each of those stages. And we want to talk about the muscles that we're going to thread in every single tool that we have, in every single thing that we do. Muscles that are going to dominate the taste buds of the Elysium aesthetic. We want to talk about them now, here in our overview, so that as they show up, we understand the priority of them. We could start investing in them now. We could start building the types of muscles that are at the ready to grab the baton from each of those stages, one to the other. Unconscious incompetence? We're built. We have a muscle, something grabbing the baton to make observation that much easier. We're in a state of conscious incompetence. There's some muscle inside of us that we're going to talk about here today that we're going to invest in in every single thing that we do that grabs the baton and invites in, makes inspiration easier, automatic. We want to build the muscles in those handoff stages of our creative flow so they're so strong that it becomes so automatic. It starts with unconscious incompetence, ignorance is bliss, we're allowed to not know anything, and we're powered inside automatically to keep driving forward until we get to improvisational life. There is something inside of us that moves us forward, and there's something inside of us that holds us back. It's time to know so that we can grow. What are the specific muscles that power personal creative growth? Well, when talking about the specific muscles, we want to also talk about the speed bumps, the things that are pushing back against those muscles, the reason why we need muscles in the first place. And even though we share all of this as human beings, the struggles, the ease, the strengths, the challenges are all unique for you, for me. And so let's talk about these moments. Let's talk about the struggles. Let's talk about the muscle that's necessary. Let's get clear on the specific muscles that will power your personal creative growth. The muscles that you'll come to know are going to be a part of everything that we do here at the Elysium Aesthetic. 
Because we'll focus on these muscles always, they're going to develop and be your superpower. These muscles are going to ensure that not only is excellence guaranteed because of the way you go about your personal crafting work, but your personal crafting work is guaranteed for that excellence because you're built this way. We are building inside of you a creative conveyor belt where you are just allowed to not know, have something land on your radar screen, and something automatically, the muscles inside of you, keep powering you forward in the face of the struggles that other people would be dealing with, the struggles that maybe we've dealt with up until this moment in our lives. We're building something inside of ourselves that powers this creative conveyor belt that takes you from the unknown all the way to improvisational life. Knowing it, learning it, being so ready, like Roman, that you are free to live it. So let's talk about the muscles, and let's talk about what holds back those muscles in each of the eight steps of our creative growth process. <laughs> the thing is, I always talk about the daily body guards and filters. I always talk about the intellect. And, you know, when I look at my notes over here, I don't write that whole thing fully out. I don't always write out the daily body guards and filters. I don't always write out the intellect. I have a short form for it. And on my notes, it says DB and the int. DB, the daily body guards and filters, the int, the intellect. But for me, I have now a relationship with me looking down and seeing DB in the int. DB in the int, at least for me, have become this sort of pinky and the brain. It's like there are any of those duos of destruction that are hell-bent on taking over the world. They want all the control, that aren't satisfied with just a little bit, but they want to completely rule the world. I think of my personal DB, of all of our DBs, as this little sort of maniac of a dude who is who plays dirty, who's willing to do almost anything to be able to remind us of all the dangers that are out there in the world, so we hand all of the control over to DB. DB is wild and always trying to gain full control. And then he's got his partner, the int. When I think of the int, I think of those those uh, sidekicks, you know, those like, uh, hey, boss, how you doing there, boss? And the sidekick is always so quick to offer up, oh, boss, I got a great idea, boss. Here's the idea we're looking for, boss. And, and only offers up the thing that the boss just said three seconds ago. I mean, <laughs> these types of sidekicks, they think they're so smart. They're so satisfied. They're so happy with what they have to say. And all they know are the things that are already out there. That is how I think of the int. The int is just filled with cliché, filled with the echoes of all the ideas, all the answers that other people have already found or that we have found in the past, and yet comes up so happy, so excited, so confident that it's this new wonderful answer. You know, it's right over its head. The int just has no idea. D, B, and the int. Man, those two do whatever they can to be able to gain control in the creative process. The thing is, creativity, it's abstract. It's not logical. It doesn't fit into the neat world of the int being able to understand things. The int just becomes kind of dumb in the creative world. And DB is just unwilling to sort of create a space that's, okay, this is art, and now this is the rules of the world. DB has always been at the ready to keep you safe and happy in the world, so DB doesn't want to take any chances with relaxing during this art time. We've got ourselves a battle here, and the people we're battling, if this is a tug of war, the people holding onto the other side of the rope, it's DB and the int versus ah, our barometer, our acting instrument, our truth. Everything starts off kind of calmly, though, when we talk about this creative growth process. 
It all begins with D.B. and the ant sitting at the pool. They've got those fancy, colorful drinks with the little umbrellas in it. And everybody's taking a vacation. Everybody's nice and relaxed. And then, oh my God, observation. Something is trying to land on your radar screen. Something is trying to let you know what you don't know. And holy smokes, D.B. and the ant, they lose it. They go crazy. Oh my God, all the alarms start blaring. And they get to work. And here's our first battle. The first battle is for observation. DB and the Int know that if you really, really get a sense very clearly of what you don't know, it's going to be too late. It's going to take us from this place of ignorance is bliss, and it's going to put us into the unknown. And that's dangerous because we don't know if we'll ever get out of that. DB and the Int are going to be pulling on that rope and that tug of war to do everything they can to fog up this thing that you're trying to observe to seduce you into accepting a general taste of it. They are really good. Remember, it's your DB. It's your intellect that's going to give you all the justifications of why you don't have to dig any deeper or really see it for what it is. And so we need a muscle, a very specific muscle, the muscle that helps us get to work. And that is the muscle of specificity specificity is a muscle. It's something we have to keep developing and working on. Specificity isn't easy all the time. The drive, the hunger to get to the nooks and crannies, the dot of what you really mean is something that's so important for us to be able to confront the work ahead. Just like in life, the worry is usually worse than the actual thing. DB and the Int don't want you to really know that you don't know something. They're trying to protect you. We want to do the work of being so specific that we are confronting the mission in front of us, that we really, really, really know what we don't know. And it's great because then we can laser focus in that direction and not waste our time on things that had nothing to do with the challenge that we needed to solve in the first place. So that's our first battle. That's the first muscle, specificity, that we're going to litter through and thread through all of our work. When I talk about specificity in the way in which you're going to be doing something with your lines, in the way in which you're doing something in your emotional practice, this muscle of specificity is going to be so fundamental to everything that gets us launched forward in our creative process. Our next battle, our next tug of war is going to happen now that we're in a state of conscious incompetence. Now that we know what we don't know, the fear of failure, that roaring sense of maybe you'll never get there or it's impossible to be able to solve this. Now that we are really alive with what we don't know, DB and the Int are going to send almost a tidal wave of doubt, of failure coming our way. Oh my God, it's a terrible note the director just gave you. It makes no sense. Oh, this script, these lines are so terrible. They're not filled with giving you an opportunity to do truth. Or if you're acting and trying to live truthfully through those imaginary circumstances, You may be hearing bullshit, bullshit, bullshit roaring inside of you. This is what's going on because DB and the Int can only deal with the information that they have in front of them and compare it to what it's like in life. And what they're telling you right now is that this is not a good situation. Now you are in a place where you have something, an expected result, and you really know that you don't know it. That fear of failure stops a lot of people in their tracks. It makes them neuter the potential of ever getting towards an answer, of ever finding that sense of forward. It pushes us back. It robs us of belief. 
That fear of failure is a roaring tidal wave that surrounds us. So we need a muscle that grabs on to those echoes inside of us, that grabs on to the rope and pulls against that logic that the intellect is trying to convince us with that there's no way to move forward. We need a new muscle to counter that, to help us move forward into the next stage of creative growth, a muscle called the Elysium Lens. Yes, the Elysium lens is the muscle of productive perspective, of knowing for sure that an answer is coming. It's not false confidence. The Elysium lens is a muscle that is built from the proof of finding answers where others only found failure. I think of that tidal wave of doubt where it's surrounding us, this monster, huge wave, and anybody who would be looking at it would see this tidal wave of doubt. When you look at things through the Elysium lens, it's not that you don't see what other people see. You see that there's a tidal wave surrounding everybody, and for sure it's right there. The thing is, you see more. <laughs> Maybe what you see is this little dude on a surfboard just like, just having the time of his life within one of those waves over there. Everybody else is seeing the roaring tidal wave of doubt, and you see that that is there, but boy, look at the answer right there in that small little wave. There's some guy, he's just doing flips on a surfboard, or, I mean, I'm not a surfer, so I don't know if you should be doing flips on a surfboard, but whoopee, yippee, whoopee, time of his life. Everybody else is worried about the problem, you found the answer. The Elysium lens is so crucial. We are always dealing with the unknown. I mean, this is art. We're always in the dark, right? And we're trying to find the light, trying to find that next step forward. We need a muscle that is extraordinary compared to how most people go about their lives. Something that has been built and shaped to know that the answer is coming. And that's what pushes us forward. That's what holds the door from getting slammed in our face and helps us be able to stay open till inspiration strikes. Inspiration striking is a blast of something that we know. And whenever we're in a state of the unknown, when there's a specific question, a specific unknown that we have confronted, there's always going to be two possibilities, two pulls to take us towards an answer. I think of them like two bridges. One we know about. One is the intellect, and it's a very fancy bridge. It's a very seductive, calming bridge. They hand out refreshments as you're walking down that bridge. It's very fancy wood on that bridge. That bridge is filled with all the things that will lead you towards that easy escape, to play pretend. It's filled with the cliché. It will give the expected results from things that have already been out there in the world. The other bridge is a bridge towards your truth. The artistic soul inside of you, your empathy, your unique talent, that swirl of color inside of you of the experiences you've had, what you know about this world. When we're looking for an answer, we're either gravitating towards the answers that we think everybody else will accept, or we're being pulled towards the answers that we know. Those knowings, that answer in our soul, there's like a bat signal. There's a broadcast from our soul. There is a way that our soul knows how to give us a taste of what that answer is, to give us a taste of that direction, of that inspiration. I think of that flash from our soul as like a portal. It always shows up whenever there's an unknown, whenever there's something, anytime you're searching for an answer and knowing, the portal is going to show up. So if you ever want to know what this portal is that I'm talking about, just ask anybody any type of question. Ask a friend, what did you eat yesterday? 
and you'll notice that their eyes are going to go to the side. Huh. Even if they're staring right at you and they're not moving to the side, you'll see them go somewhere internally just for a second. What are they tasting right there? Is it a visual? Is it a picture? It's something, right, that they then translate and give the words for. We don't have to do that when somebody says, what's one plus one? That's not about our unique knowing. That type of information lives in a different surface area that's accessible. When we're talking about knowing, the knowings that separate you as a human being and as an artist, they're always broadcast from this portal. What were you wearing yesterday? Again, there's something you taste internally that's just been broadcast, like that bat signal that just shows up. That thing that we taste, that's what we're going to call our portal to knowing. And that's a muscle that we want to build, not just having that. Every human being has a portal. We want the muscle that embraces that portal and releases all other possibilities. It's a muscle. Like everything, the more that we bet on this portal, the more that we go down this bridge, the stronger it gets, the fancier it gets, the more we fall in love with its rickety quality. We need to bet on that portal to keep access towards our artistic soul. If we don't bet on the portal, if we doubt the portal and ways to doubt the portal are to try and make it prove itself to you, to try and think longer, to try and use your brain to judge that flash that showed up from the portal. It's a muscle, and I'm going to be talking about the portal, your access to your artistic truth, a lot in all of the tools that we'll be doing. It's a specific muscle for our creative growth process. It's the muscle that grabs the baton from the Elysium lens that holds the door open so that when inspiration strikes and those two bridges show up, that tug of war shows up, and the intellect starts pulling really, really hard towards expected results filled with a cliché, We want the muscle that embraces our instinct, our artistic instinct, our portal. When we do that, we have launched ourselves deeper down that bridge towards our truth. Now we are in a state of conscious competence. We're not all the way there yet, but we have taken steps forward. And that's when DB and the Int turn on a dime. They've been telling us all this time to worry, worry, worry. Now they're our best friends. Now that we feel we know something, we feel confident that we are moving in a direction that we want to move in, it would be silly for DB and the Int to try and convince us otherwise. The battle that happens in conscious competence after inspiration is struck and we have a direction is the battle of settling for the first taste of success. DB and the Int are going to do everything they can to seduce you in that direction. Great! All right! Wonderful! Yes! Of course this taste over here is the answer. We should have seen that all along. Thank goodness you stuck to your guns, they're saying, DB and the Int. But look at all these missing pieces around it. We have a way of filling that stuff in. And before you know it, the Int with all of its cliché and great ideas, boss, and DB with all of its little hidden ways to try and regain control and make sure that nothing hits you unexpectedly. Before you know it, they're going to take that bolt of inspiration, that sense of clarity, and do everything they can to grab it and pull it back towards something that's closer to a cliché, something that most people will agree on is the right answer. We need a muscle that counters that pull to settle for that first taste of success. It's the muscle, 
of never settling for the first taste of success. In fact, it's a mantra that we're going to have erupting out of our soul. When inspiration strikes and we embrace that portal, the only sound inside of us is going to be to never settle for the first taste of success. I mean, I'm the sort of person who doesn't like to focus on the negative words, so instead of never settling for the first taste of success, this mantra that's roaring inside of us, what are we doing? What is it leading us towards? And that's the answer of preparation. Doing the work for every muscle until it's instinct all to unleash our potential. Yes, as DB and the Int want us to settle for the first taste of success, never settling for the first taste of success, that muscle, that mantra is going to roar us forward, is going to hand the baton off to our Olympic spirit. Our Olympic spirit is the muscle that's going to grab the rope in this step of preparation. That's not going to listen to any fragment of DB in the Int trying to convince us that we're there already, that it's more than enough. We are going to do the work, all of the work, until it is ours. Until it is gifting us with something that sets you free, my friend. Doing the work for every muscle until it's instinct. Well, how do we know it's instinct? How do we know we're there? This next step out of preparation in our creative growth process is about trying to figure out, have we learned it? Are we unconsciously competent? Now, if we were to turn to DB and the Int and they grab onto that rope, you can only imagine, you know, DB and the Int look at everything that's happening and they can only taste things through the perspective of choices. We said before that there's a difference in our work. We don't do our work and make choices. We do work and we know. We are working from the deep knowings of our artistic truth. But because DB and the Int don't have any access towards that, everything is just a choice. And for them, they're always going to choose choices that have proven themselves over time, that other people have done and people have said, yeah, that's good, that's right. So it doesn't matter how worthwhile this thing you found At the end of the day, it hasn't proven itself to anything in the world out there, which is where DB and the Int are making their judgments for. Being an artist is very brave. This work is personal. These knowings are your unique knowings. And so to not compare them, to not judge them and say they're right because other people have done them, but to find something inside of yourself that could taste whether they're right, to be so sure and confident that it sets you free, that's what we're after. We need that sort of a muscle, not the muscle of judgment that's going to be dominating, the muscle of worry that's going to be dominating and pulling from DB in the inside. We need the countering muscle of the taste test. When we talk about earning confidence in our work, it's your confidence. You have to really be convinced. So what we do is we go back to that observation, to that very specific thing that we tasted that all of a sudden and for sure told us that we don't know something. And we taste it again. We experience it again. And this time, what we're left with is an answer that comes from our instinct, from your actor's barometer, something we're going to be developing and shaping and building over our time together. But it's your taste buds, your sense of truth that lets you know whether you're there or not. That's the way that we earn unconscious competence. You know you're competent because you've confronted, you've dared to place yourself back in that position where you are tasting something you don't know. And only from actually tasting it, you're going to get the information, the confidence, the trust that, yes, I know it, it's mine, I'm done. 
there's one battle left. And for that, I want to remind you that Michael Jordan does not shoot three-pointers every single minute from the end of practice all the way until game time. Something needs to happen inside of us where the work gets left at the door and we find it in the moment. Where all those plays and the things that the coaches have been telling us, the, the direction and the blocking and all that stuff that we have done the work to know, to make habit, to make instinct, something has to happen that we feel so confident, so trusting in it, that we're able to leave it at the door, find it again as it shows up in its version in the moment. How do we build that sort of a trust that we don't have to be careful, that we're sure? DB and the Int are going to be grabbing onto the rope even when we're in that state of unconscious competence, and their version of pulling is to check in on your work. And of course they're doing it for the same reasons they would do it in the daily body, the same reasons they do it in life, because they want to make sure you're ready. We all care so darn much about this profession, so I'm not here to beat up on DB and the Int for this moment or any of these moments. They're always there to try and take care of you. The problem is that it's not taking care of us. What we want is the type of confidence that allows us to live. It's different life and acting. In life, I don't know what's going to come next. So when things hit me, I can react truthfully. In acting, I'm always able to get prepared for the moment. I'm always able to get ahead of it. That's what DB is going to be yearning for, to get ahead of the things that are going to be coming your way. And the intellect to judge and make sure that you're safe, making safe choices. If we check in on our work from after the taste test, before we get to game time, what we're doing is we're feeding into this part of DB and the int that treats everything like a choice. And then who knows if it's right? Who knows if we're ready? According to DB and the Int, that trust hasn't been built in the world just yet, so they'll always be pointing out the reasons why it may not work. We do our work very carefully, our personal crafting work, this creative conveyor belt. We do our work carefully, and the previous step was a taste test that wasn't somebody else telling you you're ready, but you knowing you're ready. We need the muscle that invests in you trusting yourself, in the sort of trust that builds a genuine, grounded confidence. None of those false platitudes. The real confidence that makes you just itch and hunger to get to game time. I know a person like Michael Jordan loves playing the game of basketball, is not worried about what he can't do when he shows up. This is what I want for you. That when you do the work and you are ready, that there's something inside of you, a muscle that is built to let it go. That muscle, the muscle of letting it go is the muscle that's going to set you free improvisationally. That's what we're after. That's what's going on behind the scenes. And those are the muscles that we are going to be threading in all of our work because it's involved with all of our work. The muscles of specificity, the muscle of the Elysium lens, the muscle of embracing our portal, the muscle of never settling for the first taste of success, but rather igniting our Olympic spirit to roar into the work of preparation, to do all of it until it's instinct. And then we turn to the muscle of the taste test, instinctually knowing, for sure knowing that the work is ours. And then we hand the baton to our muscle of letting it go. These muscles are fundamental to everything that we do. Every tool, every piece of personal crafting work is going to put a priority on utilizing these muscles. There are muscles. 
the muscles of creative growth, the muscles that we focus on here at the Elysium Aesthetic in how we do our work, in how we show up ready for game time, prepared like Michael Jordan, ready to be free and go wherever the work takes us, like Roman. Starting next class, and for the 10 classes that follow, we'll focus on those things that we do, those tools that make up our preparation. Today, let's talk about the batons that get handed off to get us towards preparation, to get us towards that Olympic spirit of ours. The reason a conversation like this is so important, so fundamental, is because these muscles are going to show up all the time. And so when we talk about that first muscle, that muscle of specificity, it's a great example of something that we've already gone all in for. In the Elysium Aesthetic, we have said that we are unwilling to leave any of our creative truth behind. So we added the tool of creative communication, utilizing music, images, object, a way to grab onto a piece of our truth that doesn't come out in the words that we use in daily life. Something that tastes more like what we mean. We care to be that specific. We care to reach into the nooks and crannies of us and bring out the flavor that someone else can taste that lets them know what we really, really mean. That aspect of using creative communication is a way for us to high-five this need, this muscle of specificity. There will be other ways that we put a priority on specificity, but we are already roaring in that direction. Let's talk about the Elysium Lens, this power of productive perspective. The Elysium Lens is so fundamental early on. There are so many notes that will be unclear, so many scripts that seem lesser than. It can be really, really challenging navigating this world as an actor. There are so many times where it feels impossible to do the things that are being asked of us. That sense of it feeling impossible, this fear of failure, this doubt that we'll ever be able to move forward, how crucial that we build up a type of trust in ourselves that really makes us feel like that would be silly. Like, Of course there's an answer coming because the answer is always there, especially in the past in moments where I thought it wouldn't be there, it's proven itself to show up. If we can do something like that, if we can look at moments that seemingly would have no answer and always find an answer, before you know it, we're not going to get psyched out, ever, and things that just don't come to us right away. This Elysium lens muscle is so important, so valuable, makes everything so much easier, that it's going to be the first tool that we introduce. In fact, the first tool that we introduce in our artistry section, we're going to do it right now. The Elysium Lens is the first step in your daily Elysium Artist Report. This lens, this power of productive perspective, is something we're going to do at the end of every single day, and we're going to taste back to the day that you actually had. Whether it's a boring day, whether you were sick all day, whether you had a great day, whether it was a day you spent watching Netflix all day, whatever your day was, you're always going to taste back to it and answer these three questions. These three questions, the first step of our Daily Elysium Artist Report. Question number one, what experience today clarified a piece of my craft? Question number two, what experience today strengthened an area of my acting instrument? Question number three, what experience today inspired a flavor of my Elysium artist? Yeah, if you want to turn up the temperature, 
If you want to use this tool to really build the muscle of productive perspective where other people would only see a problem, you're going to keep finding solutions. We can reword those questions so that they're more specific, that they focus on areas that are even a little bit more tough and still find the gold that we're after. Here's how to reword it. You could say, how did this specific moment in my day clarify a piece of my craft? How did this specific moment strengthen an area of my acting instrument? How did this specific moment inspire a flavor of my Elysium artist? You're doing this, and yeah, by looking at a specific moment, you can go to a particular moment that really felt like it was a dark moment, a moment that proved that things weren't working, that you shouldn't be an actor, that you're moving in the wrong direction. Oh boy, there aren't just moments like that. In fact, we have dark days. You know what I'm talking about. Those days that make us feel like we're just maybe moving in the wrong direction, maybe moving backwards, maybe just something is convincing us that we're just never going to make it. Dark days don't only happen in the world of acting, they happen in all aspects of our life. Someone can lose a job or have difficulties in relationships or in health. Those days would, those moments would feel impossible to be able to say, what, that moment right there, that worst moment of my day right there? No, of course it didn't clarify a piece of my craft. In no way did it inspire a flavor of my Elysium artist. I would say that moment in my day was probably the opposite of everything I'm reaching for in my Elysium artist. Again, tidal wave of doubt roaring everywhere. What we want is to build a muscle. We don't want to pretend that it's not a tough moment. We don't want to pretend that it's not a tough day. We don't want to pretend that it's just a day I did nothing and it was just boring and stagnant. We want to peer through the Elysium lens, hold the door open until inspiration strikes, until the clarity of that answer finds us. Three questions, and I'm going to be particular about the step-by-step nature that you go about dealing with each of these tools. So this will be a good tone setter for the way that we'll learn things moving forward. I'm going to carry you through the eight steps of our three questions, this new tool that is the first tool in our Daily Elysium Artist Report. I'm going to carry you through these eight steps, and I'll be very particular about the words that I use. My goal is to empower you with clarity, to give you exactly what you need to do the work, and of course to flood you with the sort of inspiration that sincerely, genuinely inspires you to want to do this work for yourself, because it's going to gift you with something that makes your life easier, more joyful, helps you set yourself up for success. Let's jump into this new tool of the three questions. Step number one, using your Elysium lens, allow wonder and curiosity to spark with the first question. Allow wonder and curiosity. Ah, we don't wonder anymore in this world. We don't get to be curious enough anymore, right? We have phones. We could pick it up and get any information that we want to. But again, it's all the information that's already out there. The muscle of wonder, the muscle of curiosity, it's a good muscle to nurture. And because we started this personal crafting work, this creative work that we're doing over here with a very specific question, What experience today clarified a piece of your craft? Now, let that wonder and curiosity that doesn't get a chance to be set free all the time, to get to linger and be luxurious, let it spark with this question. And then we'll move to step number two. Now that we taste this specific unknown, of course, a portal is going to show up. So step number two is to fully embrace this portal to knowing, allowing all other possible answers to fade. That's a doing, allowing all the other possible answers to fade. They could stay there and try and compete and pull and create doubt and make everything a choice. 
But this is a portal to knowing. It's a flash that showed up instinctually when you tasted the question. It's a beginning, it's a direction, but our goal is to embrace it. So step number two is fully embracing the portal to knowing that shows up when you allowed that wonder and curiosity to spark with your first question. Step number three, let's write down the specific beating heart of the answer. Let's not worry about the pressure of getting the portal to prove everything to us, to give us a full, neat, complete answer that could compete with some of the things that the intellect wants for us. We are doing something more. We understand that creativity is like a blossoming flower. It happens in stages. So what we're doing right now is grabbing hold, embracing this portal by writing down its concentrated heart, its essence. We don't worry or need it to prove all the other stuff. We don't care if it's not a complete, full answer to the question that we're after. It is the direction, and we want to grab that and write that down. Step number four. Let's go back to the other two questions of this tool and repeat these first three steps. Step number five, let's revisit that first question number one. Let's revisit that specific beating heart of an answer that you already wrote down back in step number three. Let's revisit that beating heart and with wonder and curiosity, let's ask that answer, that beating heart that's there, that beginning of an answer, what exactly over here really clarified a piece of my craft? We want to do this for ourselves. nudge ourselves to get to the heart, to go even further, to clean the clutter off and get to the answer that matters, that's meaningful, that goes beyond right or wrong, the answer that is the knowing. And since we have this nice specific question, what exactly over here in this beating heart answer really clarified a piece of my craft? Step number six. Because of that specific question, a portal shows up. We are going to fully embrace this portal, which we'll call a portal to deeper knowing, and we'll allow any other possible answers to fade. Step number seven, let's own that. Let's write down the specific deeper answer without judgment or filter that has now been inspired from this portal to deeper knowing. I ask the question again as I'm tasting this beating heart answer. Come on, what exactly over here really clarified a piece of my craft? And something shows up in my mind's eye, nah, in my soul's eye, right? In that portal. And now, instead of just writing down the beating heart and stepping away from it, like a water slide, I want to follow it through, taste it through until I get to that answer to that question. And I'm going to write down that answer without judgment or filter. Step number eight. Let's now do the same things for our second question and for our third question. For the second question, let's revisit that beating heart and ask what exactly over here really, really, really strengthened an area of my acting instrument. Let's embrace, fully embrace, release all other possibilities, a portal that shows up to the deeper knowing. We'll write down the specific answer because we followed that portal to deeper knowing and it gave us what we know about it. And then we'll do the same thing, of course, for question number three. Those are the eight steps to the three questions. And of course, you'll notice in there the fact that we didn't just start with question number one and not stop until we were done. We stepped away from it for a little bit. 
We taste it back, and we use that taste to guide us moving forward. Those are things that all have to do with these muscles that we are building on our creative conveyor belt, the muscle of the taste test, the muscle of letting it go. These muscles, I remind you, will be in everything that we do. They are unique to the Elysium aesthetic, but they are universal to all human beings doing this creative growth work. All right. We've got ourselves a muscle builder that's going to be happening daily now for the power of productive perspective. Because I talked about that dark day component that is a way to really build that muscle and strengthen it, let me add a piece of personal crafting work that's just specifically for this class, for this muscle, that has to do with that dark day aspect. Let me have you ask these three questions for a recent and also for a long ago dark day. And you know what I mean by the dark day. I mean the darkest, the one that for sure was proving everything was moving in the wrong direction. I want it to feel almost impossible to be able to get an answer that you would believe because then when you find the answers to these, wow, afterwards it becomes so much harder to feel like there's no way forward when you're meeting a challenge. This is a particular muscle builder that, of course, we're going to be doing every single day. But the muscle builder right now of tasting back to a long ago and a recent dark day is something that's going to help us roar into this direction of building this muscle. And you can do it as many times as you'd like. It's something that complements the daily work that we're adding into our deer, something that's just a pure muscle builder specific to the Elysium lens that you can use whenever you want to. The muscle of the Elysium lens holds that door open, refuses to have it slam shut so that inspiration can strike, so that our portal can show up. The next muscle that we're after, the next muscle that we're devoting ourselves to building in everything that we do, isn't just about having the portal, it's about embracing the portal. So let's do something right now that's all about portal practice. And just like with this recent and long ago dark day muscle builder that you can apply your three questions to, let's have some portal practice that you can use any single time that you want. First, of course, you should take some time to get really confident that you know what I'm talking about, that you could taste what I'm talking about when I use this concept of the portal. Ask your friends questions. Ask the people around you a question that they have to reach inside of themselves for some basic knowing. Ask them who their best friend is. Right, And you'll notice that they go somewhere, they taste something. That's the thing I want you to just get real clear going, okay, I know what that is. I know that there's a portal there. Then you have to find your own portal. And not just find it, you've got to embrace it. That's the muscle that we're building. This embracing when on the other side, there's this pull towards other options. That's the tug of war that's happening. The intellect wanting to let you know there are other more logical ways to get to the answer you're after. More complete ways, ways that are less abstract. And you pulling on it with the muscle of embracing your portal no matter what. Let's do some portal practice. And the portal practice, this muscle builder happens in four steps. The first step is using your Elysium lens, allow wonder and curiosity to spark with any specific question. For example, if I were to ask you, what's the most beautiful time of the day? Something showed up in that soul's eye of yours right there. The beginning, the fragment, the taste bud of it. Step number two, instantly embrace and capture that portal to knowing through creative communication. That's how we're going to build this muscle. We want to be so careful not to need the portal to prove itself, to become less abstract, more obvious to us. 
The portal is the bat signal from our soul. It is the truth. We want to learn that language instead of having that language get blown up and have to speak the language of the daily body. So we are going to translate this portal that shows up into the language of art, into the language of our soul, into the truest way that we could capture it that goes beyond words. I want you to find a piece of music, some image, some object that can capture what you tasted in your portal. We want to be careful. We're not looking for something that is the full answer to the question of what was what's the most beautiful time of the day? Who's your best friend? We're not looking for creative communication that answers the question. We're looking for creative communication that captures the taste of the portal that showed up when the question was asked. Step number three. We're going to disengage even if it's momentarily so that we can sever any engagement of the intellect in this process. We want to be so great at just walking away from it, not giving the intellect a chance to jump in there, to try and remember the portal, to try and connect and make sense of why we're choosing this creative communication for that flash that showed up. We just don't want the intellect involved in our portal at all. So in order to do that, once we have our creative communication, we're just going to step away. We're going to disconnect, go for a walk, get a glass of water, do anything that you'd like so that you have a reset. Because now when we come back here in step number four, we're not going to try and remember what the portal was that showed up and have our brain try and help it remember and finish off the answer that it was giving us. We want to trust that portal so darn much. We want to trust that we know the taste of knowing so much that goes beyond the intellect that we are simply going to Taste the creative communication of the portal. Only the creative communication. We're going to just completely trust that it's been captured by this creative communication. We're going to taste that creative communication and we're going to instantly embrace where it takes us. This direction, this knowing that's going to show up out of it because we're on the hunt for the answer in the first place. Step number one. Allowing wonder and curiosity to spark with a specific question. Step number two, embracing the portal that shows up, translating it into creative communication. Step number three, disengaging from the intellect, walking away, letting it go. Step number four, come back, just taste the creative communication and go on the journey of the answer that it's going to give you. Some questions I've thrown your way already. I mean, any question works, but I've said things like, who is your best friend? I also threw a question, what is the most beautiful time of day? Here's another one. Why are you worth betting on? Ah, Something showed up. Something showed up. Sometimes it's hard, right? Because sometimes our brain wants to dominate and start give answers or worry or doubt. And it almost feels like, wait, did something show up? Why are you worth betting on, my friend? There is a reason out there, I imagine. Why are you worth betting on? A sense, a pull, almost like a a thread that if you kept pulling on it, you'd get to the fuller answer. But the beginning, the thread showed itself. That little broadcast, that flash showed itself. For portal practice, the embracing of the portal, not just knowing there's a portal and going, okay, yeah, a portal showed up. The muscle of embracing it that grabs onto it and pulls it away from the intellect wanting to pull us towards the cliche, that muscle of embracing it means we grab onto the flash, turn it into creative communication, flood it with trust by walking away from it, tasting it again, and letting it give us the answer. It's so wonderful that we deal with knowings versus choices. 
When we talked about never settling for the first taste of success, we've embraced the portal and now there's going to be this thing that shows up that wants us to settle. You know, if we dealt with choices, I think everyone would agree with the statement, don't settle for the first taste of success. It sounds so professional. It sounds so much like, of course, I want to get to the full answer. But if you're dealing with choices, never settling for the first taste of success, what does that do to you? It's just, again, all this doubt. Wait, so I thought it was a good answer. I thought it was my good choice. I thought it was the thing to do, but I guess I shouldn't settle for it because it's the first one that showed up. When we talk about never settling for the first taste of success in our work, in the realm of knowing, it's about going deeper. It's about that portal that shows up and we continue following down that bridge deeper and deeper into the full, what was abstract, but then becomes obvious knowing that exists in our artistic soul, in our talent, in our empathy, through the experiences we have had by living this life. So these are the muscles that matter to the Elysium aesthetic. These are the muscles that matter to all human beings in our creative flow. And if we can get those muscles working at their highest levels, then we reach our target of having a personal creative conveyor belt, where when we jump up for the shot in the moment, ah, it's not that excellence is going to be earned when we hit that shot. We know walking into the game, walking into that audition, walking into today's rehearsal that we have already earned it because of the way we've gone about our business and our personal crafting work. And this way of talking right from the start here in our overview, this way of making sure these muscles are showing up in everything that we do, means that you are just going to be built to have the sort of creative conveyor belt that always allows you to be just yourself and allows you to be built to move through the stages that culminate in living truthfully, fully, freely as the character. The muscle of specificity hands the baton over to the muscle of the Elysium lens, which hands the baton over to the embracing of our portal, which hands the baton over to that mantra that roars inside of us to never settle for the first taste of success, but to roar deeper, to go further into the work, to do things, to prepare, to set ourselves free. The preparation, those things that we do, are going to be the focus of the 10 classes that we have in front of us over the next 10 months here on Acting Class Daily. Each month, a new class, a new theme, a new focus for our work. And it's mostly going to work out in four chapters per class. The first chapter is going to give us a chance to shape our perspective, perspective building on all the things that show up in the profession, how we navigate that stuff to bring out our best. The second chapter of each class will focus on adding a tool to our artistry section. The third chapter is going to focus on the tools, the practices, the warm-ups that deal with our acting instrument. And the fourth chapter of each class over each month is going to add a tool to our transformation toolbox. We're going to build a perspective and add a tool each month. One tool for artistry, one tool for instrument, one tool for our craft. 10 classes total that carry us through the 2022 year. As we move through our 10 classes, there are going to be so many opportunities for me and you here at Acting Class Daily for us to interact, for us to engage, to take the discoveries and challenges you're facing, and to help you continue to move forward, to personalize everything that we're doing so that it's taking care of you in life. I want you to be a great teammate in helping me to know how things are going with you. 
For that, I'm going to have three expectations for every piece of your personal crafting work that you work on, so that when you're doing your work, you're not done until you've done these three things. The first is to locate a discovery and a challenge in whatever you're doing. A discovery is going to represent the taste of you being the clearest you could possibly be in that work, something that shows that, yeah, I'm really getting the most out of this tool in the way that I should be. A challenge is going to be something that's almost like a proof that you're moving in the wrong direction, that you're confused or stuck or unable to move forward. It doesn't matter to me if things are particularly easy in that tool or piece of personal crafting work. I still want your actor's barometer to locate the nuance between what of this is the easiest, what of this is the most challenging, even though it's all so easy. And if things are really, really hard, I don't want you to just stop with knowing that it's hard. I want you to do the work of telling me what over here, what challenge represents the pinnacle of hardness of why it's a challenge for you. What out of all of this difficulty over here is a sign that you are moving in the right direction direction, that discovery, a discovery and a challenge. The second expectation has to do with timing. I always want you to keep track of exactly how much time it's taking you to do that piece of personal crafting work. For example, if you were to be doing the three questions for a long ago, dark day, I want to know how long that takes you to answer all three of those questions for that long ago, dark day. Timing is tricky because it can be filled with judgment. It's taking me too long. I'm not putting enough time in. All of these wonderings about how much time should I be taking isn't really important when we're in the beginning of learning, when we're trying to find the habits, trying to find our way in there. But of course, timing is going to matter. Of course, timing gives me so much information on the way in which you're interacting with each of these tools. Eventually, though, Everything we want to do, every tool that we have, we want it to be as simple as obvious as like flicking on a light switch so that it's automatic. It gives us something. It floods us with the gift of the tool that quickly, that easily. Our final expectation when it comes to personal crafting work is going to be what happens when you run into those speed bumps. Any single time you come across a difficulty in the work, of course, that's okay. That's just what it is. That's just what it is. But I don't want you to stop there. I don't want you to get defeated and walk away from the work there just because you couldn't find your way forward. I do want you to do one thing, part of the expectation here for all of our personal crafting work, when you hit those speed bumps. I want you to locate the characteristic, the human trait modified with a scenario of highest virtue so that it has that poetic word or phrase that attaches to it. That modified trait, that muscle that would have helped you flourish. You couldn't find it within yourself in that moment that you're hitting the speed bump, but instead of stopping, you dug around over there, you searched, you scratched, and you clawed, and you found the trait and you modified it so you know exactly the muscle that if you had it, then the next time you confronted that speed bump, you'd be ready to roar forward. And that gets to be our focus now, getting great at pinpointing, specifying those human muscles of forward in the way that you can taste it, in the way that you know it with that modified trait that comes from that scenario of highest virtue. All right, so we've done it with things like a president, an astronaut, high school math teachers, hostage negotiators. We applied it as well last class, wondering at what are those modified traits that you could taste for the muscles of learning. Let's evolve that further. As another piece of PCW for today, what are the modified traits that you can taste that you know would catapult someone forward for each of our seven muscles of preparation? Specificity, the Elysium lens, 
embracing our portal, never settling, doing the work until it's instinct, a taste test versus a think test, and then letting it go. Let's get great at knowing these muscles. And for now, when you hit a speed bump in any of your personal crafting work, the expectation is that you're going to be able to pinpoint, specify, diagnose the muscle of forward. Eventually, as we grow our trait work so that it's not just about knowing these muscles, but it's about growing these muscles, this expectation will evolve as well. I'm going to expect that when you hit those challenges, that you let me know the muscle that you've located that you want to build and also what you're doing to grow that muscle. I'll have some things to be able to help that along based off of the information that you give, based off of the discovery, the challenge, the timing, and the way that you're dealing with the muscles of challenge, the muscles of success. Those are things that are going to help me be the best teammate possible with you. And oh my gosh, this is a shared responsibility between me and you. How you learn is how you're taught, is how you practice, how you grow, how you rehearse, how you perform. All those links on the chain want to be connected. And this is an important profession, an important art form. What you do by setting free your truth is you expand all of our empathy. We know more. We have a fuller experience of the human condition. I want all of it for you. I want you to have the superpower of being able to live truthfully through any imaginary circumstance at the highest level with personal professional pride. What you do with that superpower is completely up to you, always, and I'm going to be rooting you on no matter what. What I want for you is your ability. If you want to apply that ability to Shakespeare festivals, to horror films, to improv nights, to anything that hasn't even been invented yet. I mean, it's about you having the ability to be your best always. That's what we're in. That's what I'm your teammate for. It's a shared responsibility. You do your work and I'm here at the ready to be able to taste that honest struggle, that honest effort, and to give you those things that help you move forward to build off of strengths, and to turn those challenges into trampolines. Before we leave the discussion of preparation, of getting ready, let's talk about privacy. Personal crafting work and privacy, your personal creative growth, and that line, that personal line of privacy. Especially since there are so many options and so many teammates, so many kindred spirits in the Elysium community that are going to have something to say and to offer that up. And you know me, I am always going to be asking you to reach for your rawest, truest, artistic self. Always to speak your raw truth. But you have to have your own back. You've got to manage that line and never cross it. Never cross it. Sharing something that you feel is too private. For all the reasons that feel obvious in daily life, but also for the reasons that are our goals here in our work. If you were to share something that is too private, more private than is comfortable to share, it's going to singe, it's going to sting a little. And when you try and go back to that artistic soul, that really vulnerable, raw truth the next time, it's going to be harder to open up that door and get access to what's inside. If you keep violating that line of privacy, you're breaking the trust that allows for that access. And when you go back there, there's going to be locks on the door. There's going to be bars on the door. There's going to be longer and longer corridors before you can ever find those rooms of your artistic truth. As it should be. We make fun of DB and the interior all the time, but keeping yourself healthy and safe is fundamental for this feeling like paradise. Feeling like you're working from a place of joy. 
It's a challenge finding that sweet spot of the rawest, truest version of yourself while always being good enough to yourself to never feel like you cross the line of privacy. But it's important. It's fundamental. It gives us deeper and deeper access to all the good stuff, all the stuff that sets you, my friend, apart. But it's your mission to guard that line of privacy. All right. What an amazing use of our time, my friend. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my heart and my soul and my passion in that kindred spirit section. Taking the time to find a finish line that we can hold ourselves to account matters. Looking closer at that finish line to those things that we do in each of those three sections that we're tasked with growing over life, our artistry, our instrument, and our craft. Looking closer at those things that make up the work of the acting instrument, the work of mastering the art of rehearsal, the work of fulfilling our potential. Taking the time today to touch base on the muscles that will show up in all of our work, that show up in the work no matter what behind the scenes, if we are creators, if we are creative beings. When we have personal creative growth as our mission, there are things that are happening whether we notice them or not. Getting a chance to specify those muscles, to already build some muscle builders and exercises that enhance those muscles, to make sure that we know the importance of those muscles as we set forward into all the tools and practices ahead of us, What a worthwhile thing for us to do before we roar forward. When next we chat, we'll be in class number one. We'll be on our way to doing all those things that get us to our finish line. And even though we've talked about this finish line and we've spoken about its universal nature, and the fact is that when you have the superpower of an actor, you're going to apply it in any which way, in any discipline, in any form, in any way you want to. I have a hope for you. I have a wish for you as well. When I talk about success, what I mean is that whenever there is an audience member that knows that you're doing work or a professional that knows that they get to work with you, something inside of them gives a high five and oh yeah, awesome. I cannot wait to experience your work. I cannot wait to work with this person. I sincerely wish that sort of fame for you, that when they taste your name as an artist, as somebody working in this profession, they feel fortunate getting to be a part of your work. But the true success that I wish for has to do with you, has to do with you being proud of yourself, you understanding what a beautiful soul that you have, how incredibly worthwhile you are, how important it is for what you know about this world to get out there. For us to taste that, for you to add those panels onto the human tapestry, for you to add those chapters to the human story. I wish for you to taste inside of yourself the deepest levels of being proud of your work, of knowing your potential, of tasting yourself, fulfilling your potential, of knowing that you have done right by this profession of acting. That you are proud of yourself as an actor. That when you walk down the street and somebody asks you what you do for a living, that you look them right in the eye and you say, I am an actor, and that you know that your talents, your passions are making this world a better, fuller, richer place. I cannot wait to get started, my friend. I cannot wait to roar forward with you and my side in this work. I can't wait to meet you in this work, to meet your challenges, to build off of your successes. I can't wait 
And yet we must. Enjoy the break. Enjoy this time to reset, reload, and recharge. Because when we next meet, my friend, it's class number one. The Road to Elysium.